I'll tell you in advance, uh, this message this week, I'll be honest with you, is something that I think the Lord specifically, very specifically, gave me. And uh, I just want you to know that, uh, that uh, of course, it, I always sense the, try to sense the voice of the Spirit, and we work through the text, but somehow he dropped in something to me. And so if you've got a little charismatic background, you're going to go, wow, I'm, I'm going to get ready for this. So let's just pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, this is your message, I think, to Church at the Red Door and those who would be online as well. In this particular season, you have a message for us, and it was a message for Laura and myself as well. Lord, help me not bungle this. Help me be able to get this out in a way that communicates what you've, uh, I believe, communicated to me for our church. So, Lord, we thank you in advance. We do this graciously. We worship you today. Father, uh, we, we worship Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being among us. And uh, we're excited about what you're going to say to your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, I, they asked me, you know, usually, what's the title of the message this week? I said, The Barren Womb. And then I started thinking about that, and I think that's what we sent out. The Barren Womb, well, it is going to be that, because as we work and have been working through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to progress and see another, yet another barren womb. And this is where I felt like the Lord spoke to me. But I think if I had to go back and kind of say, well, maybe, maybe I could have come up with a better title. And I started thinking about a little bit of how to conquer the it is what it is attitude. You know, I think there are many times in life, folks, that we get to a place we feel like they're just insurmountable odds. We feel like there's just nothing we can do. Uh, it may be a physical challenge. It may be a relational challenge. It may be something politically the way you see the world. It may, it may be what you see going on around you in culture. And you just kind of throw up your hands saying, man, it feels like we live in a barren waste place. It just, well, it just is what it is. And I tell you what, that skeptical, faithless attitude can creep in on the most godly of saints. Maybe there's something the Holy Spirit's already pointing to in your own spirit this morning. You know, I've adopted that attitude. Well, it is what it is. I, you know, it just is what it is. I, there's nothing we can do about it. And I think the Lord would, as he instructed his disciples, and we'll get to this later in Luke 18, but uh, after having encountered the rich young ruler, and they were like, well, who can be saved then? And and Jesus simply said, with men, with people, this is impossible. But you've got to understand, all things are possible to the creator of the universe. If God can speak into existence something out of nothing, then he can take those barren places in your life, those fruitless places, those places that you think are long since dead, and speak life into them. And I think that's what he's trying to communicate to us through this very first chapter of Luke, and it involves the, the birth of John the Baptist. Now, there is so much, and I, some of you have heard me teach on John the Baptist. I think, John, there's some profound insight we can get. The message and the, the, the ministry of John the Baptist, he was going to be the one uh, voice crying in the wilderness out of Isaiah 40. He was going to be the one that fulfilled Malachi, the very last book written of our Tanakh, as we learned last week, talking about this this Elijah figure that would come and, and return the hearts of the children to their fathers. And, and John was the fulfillment of all that. And most, and I was inclined, folks, to go immediately to the insight we get 
about John, and yet the Lord kept bringing me back this week to one particular aspect, and that's where we're going to take off. So I'm just going to start reading here. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start here in verse 5. We've covered the first four verses, and now Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Just let me read the story, and then I'm going to give you what I think is some insight that the Lord gave me this week. And, and it, it was exciting to me. I told Randy, I said, I'm excited about sharing this. I hope it I hope it is transferable to you, our family, this morning. It encourages you like it has me. Okay, verse 5, Luke 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Zechariah, as we'll find out, will become the father of John the Baptist, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now, when you say a descendant of Aaron, he's of the priestly class. She, too, was a descendant of of the priestly class. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. That's important to understand. Uh, how so? You're not made righteous through the law. They were faith-filled people. People ask that question all the time. What about the people that lived in advance uh, of the cross? Are they saved? I get that question all the time. Yeah, there were faith-filled people believing as they could. They were reckoned righteous as a function of their faith. These were faith filled people. They were looking forward to the cross, not fully seeing it as we do today, but they were faith people in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Catch verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Okay, now I need to say this right up front, and I'm not, and, and we we address this every year on Mother's Day. Some of you women who will be listening to this were not able to have children. This brings up a painful place in your own life, and my hearts break for you. My hearts ache for the fact that you wanted children, were maybe unable to have them. Some of you then made a decision not to have children, and that's another thing. And who knows? There could still be an ache there. I don't know. But barrenness, uh, sterility, and inability to bear children can be a great, mm, a really a struggle for many women. And I just want you to know, my heart goes out. And there's always this balancing act of trying to deal when you're dealing with something like this. Now, you've got to understand, though, things are quite different than they were during uh, the biblical times. Uh, if in biblical times you had a woman who was incapable, especially in Old Testament uh, times, uh, incapable of having children. She was marginalized. She was often looked down on. You get these stories repeating over and over. It's very different in our culture now. Again, as I said, many women choose not to have children and choose a career or a calling, you know, as, as was the case with the Apostle Paul. He was, he was called not to be married, and many of you maybe have made that decision. Uh, possibly in an effort to follow what the Lord has called you to do. So you need to understand that. But I just, I needed to lay that foundation before so we go through this that uh, you can at least know that I am aware of your, maybe of your pain. I can't understand it. I can't feel it, but I am aware of it. Now verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were 
praying outside. Okay, so what, what was going on here? Uh, well, all the way back to the time of King David, he had given the divisions of the priestly class. There were 24 divisions. And then of those divisions, different divisions would serve the temple court at various seasons during the course of the year. Now, in this particular um, division was Abijah, and that was where we find Zechariah. They would go in and burn incense. Now, what was that? Well, the incense, the people outside twice a day, morning and evening, they would see the incense rising, and it would remind them, they give a picture of prayer going up to God, and it would remind them to pray during those times of the day. And so Jews all over uh, Jerusalem would see this incense rising from the, from the temple, and that was exactly what Zechariah was going into the temple to accomplish. They would see this smoke rising, and they would remind them to pray. These, this incense was the prayers, a picture of the prayers rising to the Father. And that's where we find this particular instance. Now, before I go on, it's, it's important to understand, this encounter that Zechariah has is not captured in any of the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. It's only found here in Luke. Again, I'm so appreciative of Dr. Luke doing the investigative work to go back and see fit, as we will see this morning, to capture this. Again, we see the reason for the four Gospels is to capture different facets of everything that's going on. And there's so much going on, nobody could fully capture it. But again, Luke does. Usually when we see this in Matthew and, and, and Mark and these places, it captures John. It maybe discusses John, but it picks him up in the middle of his ministry. It doesn't say anything about his birth. Luke is the one who captures this. Thank you, Dr. Luke. Now, what's going on? Well, verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Prayer for what? Well, we're about to find out. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Okay, two things I want you to remember. They were in prayer. Elizabeth, they didn't have any children. Elizabeth was barren, and the prayer was heard. And, and now we get this picture of a specificity in name. Now, that's going to play a role here in a minute. Very specifically, and you were to call his name John. And I believe that there was purpose in that. That always grabs me. By the way, when you're reading your Bible and you see something like that, you should be asking the question, well, why was the name important? John. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, that's pretty normative, isn't it? Especially among Jewish people. It's not like it's some strange name like Nicodemus or something like that. I mean, John, it's kind of run of the mill, isn't it? It's kind of a normal name. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Speaking of John the Baptist again, for he will be great in the sight of of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. In other words, this is a special child, Zechariah, with a special calling that God is going to use very specifically. Now, what's interesting is that he is emerging out of barrenness. Remember that. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Where are they getting that? Well, that's what Malachi had prophesied some three to four hundred years uh, prior to this. 
to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John has a ministry of preparation for Jesus to emerge on the scene. He is the forerunner. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Uh, here it is. Had he had an attitude of, well, it just is what it is, he wouldn't have been praying. He's an old guy. I mean, how's this going to work? I mean, it's a natural question to ask, isn't it? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. This is laughable, really. I mean, I'm praying, but I, I'm not so sure I believe it could happen. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you, to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, becomes a mute, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Again, John the Baptist has been prophesied hundreds of years in advance. He's coming at the exact appointed time. I'll tell you too, I believe that you are, you came into this world at the appointed time. You walk into your calling at the appointed time. That's what we should always be in pursuit of. There are always appointed times and seasons. It said, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he couldn't speak. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. Again, these tribes didn't know, didn't all, all the priests didn't live right there in Jerusalem. So they would go back to where they're from. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And the Lord, the Lord has done this for me, she said, the impossible. He said, in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, here's, where I wanna, here's what I want to do with this. I want to look. I, what, as I was reading this this last week, I was thinking, Lord, what do you want to say? What is there embedded in this? Is there something that, that jumps out? That's how I usually teach. I don't have just a systematic way. I, I think, Lord, what, what do we need at this season, uh, this COVID, you know, weird kind of time that we live in? Give us a word. We want a word. We want something directly from you that would encourage us. And this barrenness just kept going on in my mind. So I did a little study this week and I went back. There are six different women in scripture that specifically are mentioned. Now, barrenness is uh, specified if you don't follow the law back in Deuteronomy, you know, your women are going to be barren, etc., etc., etc. However, in this particular point, there are six specific women that are noted as being barren. Only one in the New Testament, and that is Elizabeth. After Elizabeth, after Jesus comes, there's never a mention of a, I'm sure there were, but there was never a specific mention of a barren woman after that because there was a shift from the physical focus into the spiritual, and we'll address that in a minute. Now, if you go back in Scripture, of these five women in the Tanakh and then Elizabeth that we're discussing, it started with Abraham's wife. Now, what's so bizarre about this is Abraham means the father of a multitude. Okay, so this was the promise. Now, we know through faith that this descendants were not only physical descendants that were a multitude, but really a spiritual descendants of which even if you're a Gentile, a non-Jew, you are part of the spiritual downline, if you will, 
of Abraham, and he is in some ways your spiritual father. It's powerful. But it starts with Sarah being barren. Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now what's fascinating is guess who the next mention of barrenness, uh, the woman who's mentioned as being barren, well, his son Isaac. Abraham, Isaac, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, she's barren. And then comes their son, specifically down through the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob then is married to Leah, but he's also married to Rachel, and Rachel is barren. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, wait a minute. I, that gives me pause. I mean, here, here, are the, here is the genesis of not only the Jewish people, but of a, a whole spiritual community that would include billions of people, both Jew and Gentile, from all nations that would, like Abraham, move into a faith covenant relationship with God. Why all the women being barren? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rebecca's barren. I mean, Rachel's barren, Sarah's barren. Why? And then we also get uh, two other mentions of being barren. Samson's mother, who's not even mentioned in Scripture, a great deliverer from oppression of the Philistines, uh, Manoah's wife, who's, we don't know her name. She was noted as being barren. And then lastly, Elkanah's wife, Hannah, who would be the mother of Samuel, one of the great prophets in Israel's history, was also barren. And then we come on Elizabeth, six different women being barren. So as I thought about that, I said, Lord, is there any is there something in this that we shouldn't miss? And, and here's what I felt uh, the Lord speak to me this week. I'm sure somebody's maybe come on this, but come upon this before, but it was new to me and I didn't read it anywhere. So I, I felt the Lord said, go back and study the names of these children that emerged out of barrenness. And I did that. And then he took me to Psalm 113. The only place that barrenness is even mentioned in all the Psalms is in Psalm 113. I want to read this and then I'm going to give you my commentary on it and then I think it's going to blow your mind. If, it, if I can communicate this, it's going to blow your mind. Now, stop. We need to take a seven-inning stretch, you know, whatever. Don't miss this, as Pastor Paul says often. Let's grab hold of this, okay? You ready? So Psalm 113, not very long, but bear with me in this, okay? Praise the Lord, Psalm 113. We're going to read all nine verses, just a short psalm. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you his servants. Now notice, praise the name of the Lord. Don't just praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Now that word praise is halal. And praise really means, in the Hebrew, halal. Praise really means to shine, make it shine, set it up so everybody can see it, brag about it. I mean, be crazy, clamorously, rave about it. I mean, uh, really boast about the name, lift it up. That's what halal means. And even to the point of foolishness, rave foolishly about the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. Let's just do that right now. Lord, we just, we, even if it looks foolish, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob manifest in his son Jesus, we... We just lift you up before the world. You're the answer to all of our problems. Lord, nothing is impossible with you. That's what this is saying. 
praise the name of the Lord. Goes on to say, let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. And we know, friends, that when Jesus comes back, he's going to have a community that is dedicated to him and him to them. And we will live as this new born community forever and ever. Powerful. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. In other words, just like the sun, sun-like, this is, how, this is how often we should praise the Lord the whole day long, right? The whole day long, just like the sun. The Lord is exalted over the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like our God and the one who sits enthroned on high? Now notice what he does. You want to talk about grace. We've, just, we've defined grace, right? Uh, grace is the root of gracious. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. And listen to this. Who is this God, this gracious God, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? I mean, it's obviously a metaphor. God's not stooping, doesn't need to stoop, but metaphorically, figuratively, he is stooping down. Why? I mean, we're caught up in our messes and our rebellion and everything, and the Lord chooses to stoop down and observe us and our mess. And then what does he do? Well, he raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap. He flips everything. He supplants the rich with the poor, as we'll see in Hannah's song in a minute, her song of thanksgiving after she's with child, found to be with child. He just turns everything. He, he replaces the, the well-to-do with the poor and sits them up on high. And then what does he do? He does something more. He seats them with princes and the, with the princes of his people. And then verse 9, he settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. In other words, he takes those barren places, in this case her womb, and gives her many children. Praise the Lord. I mean, that's Psalm 113. He said, well, okay, what does that have to do with this? I think God is speaking something. Remember what Proverbs said. It's the it's the honor of a king to search out a matter. We can go deep into this text and realize and get messages that God is sending to those who would be so inclined to dig. And we're digging this morning. We are really digging. So what I did, let me, let me do this. I'm just going to, I'm going to summarize Psalm 113. I wrote a little, just like uh, Eugene Peterson occasionally with the, the message. It's, it's not a commentary. It's a commentary. It's, it's not a translation. It's just, here's how I would kind of flip 113. Here's how I would say it. I'd say everyone prays the name of the Lord, as we said. In fact, our worship needs to be sun-like in that it is constant, repeating, and consistent. Why? For the one who is like the sun. The Lord loves to take impossible, even laughable situations and flip them, just like he does here, raising the ones out of the dust heap and sitting them among princes. That was unheard of. That's like taking some homeless guy here, you know, that barely can, you know, get by and maybe addicted to something and say, come on, friend, I'm going to take you and we're, we're going to go over here and we're, we're going to sit down with uh, political uh, figures and, and uh, maybe Buffett and Gates are getting together for dinner. We're going to go have dinner with them tonight. I mean, that's what this is saying. It's like, come on, that's laughable. Who, when does that happen? It says, like raising the poor from the dust and lifting the needy from the ash heap. He not only does that, he increases their fortune by sitting them with princes. 
How much more gracious could the Lord be than to overturn our fortunes by stooping down to look at our measly problems? We don't deserve it, but he delivers relief in spite of our failures. Even the barren womb is made alive again. Praise the Lord. Okay, that's Jeff Cranford commentary. Take it as you will. Psalm 113. And this is what, for me, grabbed me. So I felt like the Lord said, go back and study the names of the, of the children that emerged, emerged from the barren womb, and that's exactly what I did. I hope this grabs you like it grabbed me. Are you ready? Isaac, the very name Isaac means laughter. I mean, are you kidding me? This is what we learn. This is a laughable situation to, to take something and flip it. Uh, it is what it is. I mean, this is just no way. I mean, this barren place in my life, maybe a relational thing that's gone dead or a financial situation, a physical something, uh, somebody that you love that just cannot see Jesus. It just is. It's laughable to imagine that this person could ever come to Christ. Whatever it is, Isaac means laughter. And that's exact. where did it come from? It come from Sarai at the time before she becomes Sarah. She laughed at the at this angel that appeared who was actually, uh, many believe, a pre-incarnate Jesus, the angel of the Lord that appeared to her at the tent. And he said, I heard her laughing. She says, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. She was laughing. She's like, I am an old woman. This is a barren womb. There's no way this is ever going to produce any kind of fruitful thing. It's over. It is what it is. Laughter. Remember that. Jacob. One who supplants, that's someone who replaces. Now, it's also interesting, it's also heel holder. Now, what is that? Well, if you know the story of Jacob and Esau, they're, they're being born simultaneously, and Esau, who's going to come out first? And Esau comes out of the womb first, and, uh, he, and then what happens? Jacob grabs hold of his heel like, I am not letting this thing go. It's a picture for us. It's like this unwavering commitment to prayer for something that is laughable, that there's no way this thing can happen. And then it flips. It, he supplants it. What was is now supplanted with what is. What couldn't be is now supplanted with something that, yes, it can be. It is possible with God. Jacob means heel holder, someone who will not let go of the promises that God makes to them. Next is Joseph. He will add or increase. Hmm, interesting, interesting. Samson, sun-like. Yeah, just exactly what we read. How do we worship? Just like the sun. Who do we worship? The sun. Isaiah chapter 9, and those who live in darkness will see a, a great light as dawning. It's Jesus, right? Samuel, the, the name of God. Remember when we saw uh, in Psalm 113? Praise the name of the Lord. Samuel means the name of the Lord, the name of God, the name of Yahweh. And then lastly, John, this John the Baptist. What, what does John mean? It means that God is gracious. Every single facet of what we saw in Psalm 113 was encapsulated, concluding with this barren woman. Everything, every key point was embedded in the names of these 
these children who emerged from barrenness, from nothing, from something that was impossible. And I, it just grabbed hold of me. I mean, I just, as I was going back, I knew, I knew some of the, uh, these names. I knew Laughter and Supplanter and some of these other things that came out of these relationships. But Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob then has, you know, through, through Rachel has Joseph and Joseph becomes this amazing, you know, uh, and I looked at this, the one who increases every single thing was then embedded in Psalm 113. And what's even more fascinating, folks, is that it was also now embedded in those women as they sang Thanksgiving. Zechariah does this beautiful, you know, kind of prayer Thanksgiving and so does Hannah. Allow me real quickly now, please hold on. I know this is kind of digging deep. I know we have short attention span theater in this country. Tweets and this and that. We have to, we have to discipline ourselves to, to sit and think deeply. And sometimes it involves going through the text in a fairly uh, significant way. So a lot, just let, this is Hannah, okay? After she is found to be with child and she has Samuel, the great prophet who, right, Remember what Samuel means? I mean, as we learned, the very name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. My, my son's name is the name of the Lord and means the name of the Lord. And here's what Hannah says, and we get the same exact thing. It's a laughable situation. There's no way this thing can happen. It is what it is. God intervenes. Because of it, we worship. He flips the whole situation, completely flips it, turns it towards our good does it in such a gracious way. We don't deserve any of it. It's not that we can't, we can't appeal to God based on our goodness. Now please do this for me. It's a function of his grace. And then all of a sudden our whole world flips on a dime and he, he increases the goodness in our lives. It's just so consistent. So Hannah's song, all right, you ready? Chapter two. Okay, here we go. My heart rejoices, this is uh, 1 Samuel chapter two. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. She is worshiping all day long, just like the sun, rising, setting, just Samson's name, sun-like. There's no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you nor is there any rock like our God. Now notice, can you say she's getting clamorously raving now? She is, she is going foolishly raving about the name of the Lord. So should we be a worshiping community, unafraid to talk about the glory of our God. Shine a light on our God. Don't go boasting so proudly and don't let arrogance come out of your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge and with him actions are weighed. The, the bows of the mighty are broken to pieces, but those who have stumbled strap on strength. Notice the flip here. The strong are made weak, the weak are made strong. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread. Those who were well-fed now hire themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry cease to be hungry. Can you see the supplanting, the, the switching? Uh, those, and a picture for us is those who are hot after the calling on their life the spiritual goodness of God waiting for us. They don't just say, well, it just is what it is. That attitude is not found here. We trust that God can flip our situation in a moment's time. Even the infertile woman gives birth to seven. Out of barrenness comes fruitfulness. 
but she who has had many children languishes. You can see the flipping again. The Lord puts to death and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and brings up. He's so gracious. The Lord makes poor and rich. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. Again, a picture of what we saw. He lifts the needy from the garbage heap. Sounds like Psalm 113. To seat them with nobles and to give them a seat of honor as inheritance. I mean, he takes nobodies like me. And one day, he's done it in this life, but with many of you, I don't deserve to be in your presence. I mean, you're, you're, you're much more exalted as a, as a creature on this earth than me. And yet I get to be, and yet eternally, I'll be seated with, well, spiritual princes. I mean, this is going to be the ultimate flip. That's what she's singing about. She's not just saying, okay, great, I can have children now and I don't have to suffer the shame here. That is not. She is worshiping the name of the Lord. And she is ascribing to him the great God, the gracious God who comes down and flips people's situations. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's and and he set the world on them. He watches over the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness, the opposite of sunlight. For not by might shall a person prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be terrified. Against him he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. And who would that ultimate king be? That king is King Jesus. So that's the Hannah. What happens after she is found to be with child, you know, constantly in prayer, Lord, just, just allow me. And then she dedicates her child Samuel to the Lord, and he becomes the servant of the Lord. And then she sings this song. Okay, so let's go back to our story now. All right, you ready? Back to Luke 1, 57 through 80. Okay, we'll just finish this last. This is powerful. I mean, catch this. I, I hope this is transferring this morning. I hope you haven't nodded off, you know. I mean, this is so encouraging, right? It gives us a sense of, yes, I, I cannot, I have to ask the Lord to get rid of this it just is what it is attitude. I got to get rid of this thing. So let's go back. Verse 57 of Luke 1. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she gave birth to a son and her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her and they were rejoicing. And it happened on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to call him Zachariah after his father. Now catch this. It's beautiful. Okay, this is going to be a son. Let's name him after good old dad. You know, John, you know, Zachariah the first, this is be Zachariah the second, right? And yet his mother responded and said, no, indeed, but he shall be called John. Now, did she get a revelation of this from uh, an angelic visitor, the Lord, or did Zachariah write it down and say, no, this is going to be his name and recount? Probably just she got the story from Zachariah writing it down. And they said to her, uh, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. In other words, you're breaking protocol here. I mean, there, there is no John in your, among your ancestors, as was the custom. It's an honorable thing to do to name your children after, you know, fathers, grandfathers, whatever, close relatives. There's no John in your downline because why? Because God had a purpose. It wasn't just random. And you always, when you're reading your Bible, ask those questions. Why does it say that? Why, why was God so intent about having the name be John. Well, I think it was because the meaning of John gives us this bigger template of what we've discussed in Psalm 113. 
So uh, it's not the way things are done. Don't do that. Don't call him John. But So they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called, and he asked for a tablet and wrote this. This is what Zechariah wrote. His name is John. So do you see where Zechariah was kind of like, yeah, you know, it just is what it is. I'm not so sure I can believe this. This seems impossible. And Gabriel said, well, you, because you didn't believe my words, this is your sign you won't be able to speak. But the second he buys in, the moment Zechariah buys into it, and goes, no, his name is John. What he's really doing, it's like this is his indication of a repentant heart and a heart that's moved from, well, it just is what it is attitude to, I just trust God here. I just trust God. His name is John. And what happened? Well, it flips. And notice what happens. He says, and... And as he said that, and they were all amazed, and at once his mouth was opened and his tongue was free. And he began speaking of the praise of God. Fear came on all those who had lived around them, and these matters were being talked about in the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For indeed the hand of the Lord was with him. Now, Again, this is the last long portion of scripture I'm going to read. It's just a few, hang in with me. What is Zechariah's response and what is instructive about his response? I think it plays right back into what we've been seeing. He says this, verse 67, he says, And his father Zechariah, filled with the Spirit, prophesied. Okay, we want to know what he said. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Okay, so it's always worship, right? Sun-like. That's just his whole... You can imagine that this circumstance of impossibility moving to the possible and his faith journey with it. Do you realize that this movement changed every, it emboldened him as a priest? I can only imagine. He has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now he's talking about Jesus. And just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers. This was the prophecy about John of Malachi. He's going to return this disobedient people through John's ministry back to the faith path of their forefathers. That's what he's talking about. And the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, a great flip, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, speaking of John, you, child, will also be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. I think John was a picture of the law, he was tough. He was a tough prophet, you know. He was in the spirit of Elijah. And this is, and he wasn't preaching as much grace as he was saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then when he died, then the new covenant comes. And I've talked a lot about that. He said, because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sun rise, here we have it again, from on high will visit us, right? To shine on those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew, was becoming strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts into the day of his public appearance to Israel. And we'll get into more of John's ministry in weeks to come. So 
Zachariah, same thing, flips everything. I mean, this is this is this is the guy. I mean, in order to worship the Lord, the impossible has happened. All that has been prophesied about this forerunner is my son. Can you imagine this? He went from, ah, you know, I just is what it is. You know, I'm old. My wife, well, I won't call her old. She's well along in years. And he goes from that attitude to, to where we see this, and it returns to praise. Look, folks, when you have an attitude, eh, it just is what it is. No worship emerges from that. Do you realize that? You don't have an attitude. You don't have a lifestyle of worship. You know, I see, I meet people all the time, and they, and they said, do you worship? Do you, do you have worship music on? I do all the time. I, it drives me away from me and back into God. And, and do you have worship music? Eh, I don't really like to worship. I don't like the songs. I'm not really into that kind of thing. You may have slipped back into an attitude. Well, it just is what it is. Let me tell you something. When you see God move, when you believe for the impossible, and God acts, he doesn't always act in accordance with our prayers. He doesn't always act. You know, we lose people, love, beloved people. We lost a precious woman yesterday, Sue McCollum, just uh, three days ago. It breaks, breaks my heart for Bob and the family. And there were prayers. Many of us prayed. Well, I'm promising you, she's, she's in a great place. So not all of our prayers are answered, not in the way that we would see them. But God still says, cling to prayer. Hold on to that heel. I'm going after my birthright. Be a heel holder, like Jacob was. I want it. The Bible simply says Esau despised his birthright. He didn't care anything about spiritual things. And as a result, he was not a worshiper. He would be the genesis of the Edomites who were always standing against God's purposes. Folks, we have to believe into God. Why? Because it gives us this beautiful picture uh, of a life that believes, a faith-filled life. Okay, so this last portion this morning, and then I'm closing, but I, I want you to realize, again, maybe, maybe you're a woman there who's watching and wasn't able to have physically have children. We talk about this every Mother's Day, and I will continue, but it fits perfectly here. Jesus gave us the Great Commission we all know, Matthew chapter 28. Uh, he spoke to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It was really a commandment to begin to use, we'll use ancient language here, beget spiritual children. That's your tasks now. That's what I think that's why we don't see anything about barrenness after that. There's a switch to the spiritual. How do we have spiritual children, right? Disciple them, train them up, uh, you know, help them, baptize them. Baptism is a picture, a picture of new birth. What he's really giving to his disciples here, I want you to become spiritual fathers. I want you to beget many, many children. I want you in the... In, so I can fulfill my promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a multitude. You carry out your task, the spiritual task of raising and rearing children who were coming out of barrenness. Look, we look around our culture. You have a problem with the culture right now? You struggle with the world in which we live? I think most of us do. What is the answer? It's so barren. We spent a whole year on wilderness. It's a wilderness out there spiritually dead. What's the answer? 
become spiritual parents? That's the answer. That's what Jesus has given us here. Paul clearly has this in his mind, 1 Corinthians 4. He says, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ, I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul was never married, right? He, he, and yet he was an incredible, incredible progenitor of so many different spiritual children. He uses that language all the time. In fact, in Galatians 4, listen to his language here too. He says, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone for I'm perplexed about you. I mean, just like we do with our children, you know, I'm perplexed about you. Why are you going down this path? Why aren't you dedicating your life to God? I mean, but he saw his children as being his spiritual children. That's Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. So we can see clearly that Paul had taken up this mantle that Jesus had placed on the apostles and said, look, I'm going to become a spiritual father. I care about this. No more barren. I see so much barrenness out there. But the seed of the gospel can be planted in their hearts and fruitfulness can come and lives can be restored. Nations can be changed. Cities' atmospheres can be changed if we were to take this as seriously as we should. Look, our stories that are grounded in Jesus have an extraordinary ending. There, there's going to be such a great flipping one day, whether in this, this life or the next, you know, Elizabeth had a great flip in her circumstances, but the Bible holds out, the Bible holds out for so much more. The eternal, the glorious, the worship-inspiring flip that will happen for all of those who cling, as Jacob did to the heel of his brother, cling to their birthright. This is your birthright as a Jesus person. I'm now going to have, as we close here, I'm going to have uh, some precious friends of Church of the Red Door from Montana, and they're still there, Brian and Wendy Blevins, who we love. I'm going to have them read. I, I just want you to, again, I love the Hall of Faith. What a beautiful way to finish this morning. I'm going to have them read Hebrews chapter 11, uh, 32 through 40. It's powerful. And now watch what happens. Listen as they read. Good morning, Church of the Red Door family. I'm Brian Blevins, and this is my wife, Wendy. We're speaking to you this morning from our home in Missoula, Montana. Uh, we've been very blessed to be a part of the Church of the Red Door the last two years. And right now, we're praying that when we get back to the desert after Christmas, that we'll actually be able to join back together with everybody to worship. Wendy's going to read this morning from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 40. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, 
so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Hope to see you all soon. Back to you, Pastor Jeff. Thank you, Blevins. We love you. Can't wait to see you back in the desert. Uh, I know it's getting cold up there in Montana. You better get back down here. It's beautiful. So what, what did we learn here? What is Paul saying, this hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11? What is he really saying here? Well, it's powerful because he's saying, look, not everybody gets it in this life. It doesn't always flip in this life. We cling to it. We trust the Lord. We pray. And sometimes the answer is no in this life. But that doesn't mean we should ever adopt an attitude. Well, it just is what it is. I've tried that. I prayed a little while for that. Cling to it. Cling to those things, those areas that are barren in your life or the lives of those you love. Cling in prayer. Look, some of those folks died in great faith, but they never received the full flipping, the full promises. Why? Because they were dependent on us. We have to play our part. Have you given up faith? Have you just given up on certain areas in your life? Can I, can I through the word of the Lord here this morning, through the text, encourage you, don't give up. Hang in there. You're discouraged. You're depressed. You got a situation that seems completely impossible, completely barren. There's no way fruit's ever going to come out of this womb. Can I just say, the Lord, our God, with Him, all things truly are possible. All things are possible. All right. I I hope somehow, some way, this was. I got this out this morning. Uh, it impacted me. These names. I mean, deeply embedded in this. God is trying to speak a message. He's trying to speak a message. So anyway, we love you. Uh, can't wait to be together, as we say every week, and I will continue to say it. Randy, Paul, all of us continue to communicate to you how much we want to be together. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're beginning to reach out to Pastor Paul regarding these home groups. Uh, please do. Uh, if you feel like your house could be a place that could host, um, and you just feel comfortable, maybe with just two or three couples and you, trust me, you can get social distance. Oh, we have beautiful weather now. Open up all the, if you have big sliding glass doors or something, you can open it up and you feel comfortable doing that. Get a hold of Pastor Paul. We can gather in small ways until ultimately, praise God, these vaccines come through or whatever, and we can be back together again. I love you, Church at the Red Door. Have a wonderful and glorious week. And remember, rave. I mean foolishly rave about the name of the Lord your God this week.